Well, there was a, an old-time pastor. His name was C.T. Studd. Isn't that a cool name? C.T. Studd. And I get stuck with Francis. Um, but uh, he, uh, he, he's famous for a quote he made because he was so tired of the apathy that was going around in the Christian churches. And he says, I wish I could take every Christian and dangle them over the pit of hell for 30 seconds. Oh, wow. It's a pretty incredible statement. He says, if, if people could actually see the horrors of it, that would change their lives radically. And as I thought of that quote, I thought, you know what I wish? I wish I could take every believer and give them a glimpse of heaven and what heaven is like because if we could actually see the throne room of God and just get 10 seconds of a glimpse in there, it would change the way we would live the rest of our lives. I mean, I wish more than anything that God right now could just tear the roof off of this place and allow us to look into heaven and actually just get a glimpse. Because that glimpse, I really believe, would change me. Because there are times in my life when I get pretty casual about my relationship with God. I get casual about my walk or my faith. And yet seeing God would change all of that. And, but the truth is, is probably none of us are going to get that opportunity to see it while we're here on this earth. And that's why passages like Revelation 4 are so important. Because, you guys, in Revelation chapter 4, we get a glimpse of heaven and what it is like. And if you are willing this morning to work really hard at trying to picture what Scripture here is describing of heaven, it'll change you. It'll impact you. You see, because we say as a church that it's our mission that we want to give every individual in our community an accurate picture of God and develop those who believe into fully devoted followers of him. And, and we say we want everyone to have an accurate picture of God because I believe that we have all sorts of distorted views and pictures of what God is really like because if we had a correct view, it would change us. It would change the way we live. And that's happened for a lot of us in this church. And so today what I want to do is just give you an accurate picture of heaven. Because I think when most of us close our eyes and think of heaven, we think of, you know, the clouds. We think of the, you know, angels with, you know, a couple wings and a halo on their head, playing their harps and music and all of that. But when the Bible describes heaven, it's different. And that's what we're going to see today. And don't, don't try to totally get it. Don't try to totally understand it. Because the truth is, is, is John is trying to describe what he saw. And there is nothing on earth that really compares to heaven. And I think that's the value. That's the beauty of this passage. As you read it and you go, wow, this is like nothing I've ever seen here on this earth. Exactly. It is that incredible. And in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, he says this. He says, after this, this is John speaking, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Okay, John says, it's that same voice that he heard. What's that voice from? From Revelation 1. Remember when we studied that? Remember Revelation 1, John hears the voice like a trumpet blaring, and he turns around, he looks, and he sees Jesus walking among the seven golden lampstands. Remember that picture of him we got? Of his eyes like fire, his face like the sun, and, and his tongue like a sharp two-edged sword, his feet like burnished bronze, and, and he looks over, and then, and, then, and then he hears the voice say, he says, write down. What you are about to hear, the things that you have seen, the things that are, and the things that will soon take place. That was Revelation 119. And Revelation 119 gives us a, a, an outline of the whole book. He says, John, write the things you've seen 
And what did he see? He saw that vision of Jesus. He writes that down. Then he says, write the things that are. He was talking about things that were currently taking place in the churches. And that's what those letters to the seven churches were that we've been studying over the last few weeks. And then now in chapter 4, we start a whole new section. In chapter 4, he starts to talk about the things that will soon take place. And John now, in chapter 4, is, giving a glimpse, is getting a glimpse of the future. What is heaven going to look like? And the rest of the book of Revelation is about end-time events, about the future things that are going to happen. And so here in, in chapter 4, he gets to see a glimpse of heaven, and he begins a description in chapter 2. By the way, let me say, in verse 2, um, let me say something. If you want to do some reading this week, read Daniel chapter 7, okay? In fact, just do it. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, just read it this week. Daniel chapter 7 and compare that to Revelation chapters 4 and 5. Because it's amazing the similarity of Revelation 4 and 5 to Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 7. And we're going to talk about that when we get back into chapter 5. But anyways... Let's, let's start reading this description of heaven. And I say work hard with me, because usually I don't ask you to do that. Usually you can just kick back and listen. Today I really want you to concentrate and try to picture what John is seeing in verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Okay, we'll stop there. He said, once I was in the spirit. We believe that what this means is John was, was just kind of taken there, but maybe his body didn't go. Somehow in his mind and in his spirit, he was able to be taken into this, this throne room or a glimpse into this door in heaven. And he sees it and he says, the first thing he sees, he says, I saw a throne. He says there is a throne and there is someone sitting on it. So he sees this throne as he looks in and he sees that there is someone sitting on it. And as he describes the person sitting on the throne, listen to his description. It says that the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper. You guys know what Jasper is? That's the friendly ghost. No, no, I'm kidding. Jasper, that's a different guy. Jasper is, um, some of you are like, wow. No, Jasper is, uh, in Revelation 21, they talk about Jasper as being like a crystal or this clear, this clear crystal, kind of like what we would describe as a diamond, okay? It says the appearance of him was like Jasper, like, like a diamond. Um, the carnelian he talks about there is a, is a picture of this reddish stone, a bright reddish stone. Um, and some compare it to a ruby. And, and so he, he's trying to describe the being on the throne. He says it's like this brilliant diamond-like ruby-like appearance. He doesn't even have words to describe the substance. And, and he, he says that uh, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Okay, so he got some sort of picture there again. We don't know exactly what that looks like. John's just trying to use earthly terms to describe what he's seeing in heaven, and this is the best he can come up with. He says, it's like diamondish ruby, like this rainbow around him. And he goes on in verse 4, and he says, Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Do you ever picture heaven that way? 
It's different, isn't it? He says, now there's, there's 24 thrones that surround it. And on these thrones were these elders who were dressed in white and had crowns on their heads. 24 of them. Now, I believe, and I think it's pretty clear, that these 24 elders, they represent the believers. Okay, it be you and me, the believers of all time, but they represent us. And I say that because remember in the, in the letters that we just read, how God talks about white clothing um, for those who overcome. Remember even last week when we talked about the church in Laodicea, he says, I'm urging you, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you advice to come and buy from me white clothes. Remember that? That white clothes was a picture of our righteousness. And then he also talks about in the letters about these crowns that we would get. And in Revelation 3, I believe it's verse 11, where he says, uh, you know, don't let anyone take that crown from you. Somehow it represents uh, the reward we get. In fact, the word for crowns here, is, there are two words for crowns. One crown represented the crown a king would get, representing sovereignty or royalty. Another, king would be, another crown would be the crown that you would get for a victory, a victor's crown. That is the crown that these guys are wearing. It's the victor's crown. I believe you get it for overcoming for, for surviving, for, for being faithful to God while you're here on this earth. And so they're dressed in these white clothes and these crowns. And another reason why I say that this represents the church um, or, or the believers is this. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there used to be thousands and thousands of priests. Okay, thousands of priests. But they couldn't all serve at once. So what they did was they divided these priests up into 24 orders these 24 groupings of priests. And what they would do is each of those groupings or each of those orders would send one representative and there would be 24 of them. And when those 24 representatives got together, they, they stood or they represented the whole grouping of priests, the thousands and thousands of them. So in the same way, I believe that these elders encircling the throne of God, are, they represent us. Or all the people who have believed in Jesus Christ are represented by those 24 elders. Okay, and then in verse 5, listen to this. It says, From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Can you picture that? He says, From the throne itself came lightning. You would hear these rumblings and these peals of thunder. Have you ever been in a real thunderstorm? Not like a California one, you know, but I remember speaking up in Oregon once and I was speaking in this tent where there were no walls. It was just, you know, this covering and there was hundreds of high schoolers and we're in the middle of a thunderstorm and I was talking about the power of God. And I'm talking and every once in a while you would just hear this booming thunder and the kids would literally scream when they heard it. I mean, I jumped a couple. I mean, I'd never heard anything like that. It was terrifying. And so John is saying he sees this throne and he starts hearing this thunder, peals of thunder coming from the throne, flashes of lightning. He says around the throne he sees these seven blazing lamps. And he says that those lamps represent the seven spirits of God, which we talked about earlier, that that represents the Holy Spirit of God. Remember, in, um, we talked about Zechariah chapter 4. If you have time, study Zechariah chapter 4. And that's where we get that these seven lights or lamps represent the Holy Spirit. Um, because the Holy Spirit, normally, we don't see him. 
Okay, I mean, you cannot see the Holy Spirit right now. But every once in a while in Scripture, God embodies the Holy Spirit in such a way that we as human beings can see him. Remember at the baptism of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit descends as what? A dove, yeah. And on the day of Pentecost, and when they're in the upper room, the Holy Spirit descends as what? Fire, good. Good. Last service, didn't know that. And uh, I called them dumb. I couldn't believe it. I go, wow, this is like the dumb service. Why did I just say that? Everyone's looking at me like, thanks. But anyways, um, glad you guys knew that. Okay, so so every once in a while in Scripture, you have a you have the Holy Spirit embodied. Here you, you see him, and he's represented by these seven flames of fire. Now, this is pretty unique, okay, to say the least. We have never seen anything like this. But what's crazy is it gets even more bizarre. Okay, look at verse 6. This, this, this is going to blow your mind. He says, Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Okay. Have you ever seen a being like that? Probably nothing even close to it. And John's just looking and he's trying to describe them all. And he goes, well, first I saw this, this sea of glass. It was like this crystal-like glass thing around the throne. He doesn't seem to be real preoccupied that. What he really got into were these four living creatures. One with the face like a lion, one like an ox, one like an eagle, one like a man. They've got eyes all around them. And he's not the first one to see anything like this. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 1. Okay, understand something. Very, very rarely in all of human history has God ever allowed people to get a glimpse of what goes on up there. There are a few times when people got to see some sort of form of what goes on in heaven. Remember, we've studied Isaiah and his vision of it in Isaiah 6. We've talked about Daniel and how he saw it. We're, just, we're studying John. You know, what he sees in Revelation. But Ezekiel was another guy in the Old Testament who got to get a glimpse of this. And in Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 4, he describes it. Listen to this and see how similar it is to what John saw hundreds of years later. Ezekiel 1.4, I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounding, surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal. And in the fire what was, was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was that of a man, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf, and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had the hands of a man. All four of them had faces and wings, and their wings touched one another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a man. And on the right side, each had the face of a lion. And on the left side, the face of an ox. 
Each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out upward. Each had two wings, one touching the wing of another creature on either side, and two wings covering its body. Okay, so you get this description from Ezekiel. This is so different, isn't it? From what we get in these different paintings of what the beings look like around God. And yet, Ezekiel says he sees these creatures and they've got four faces each. And yet, it's this name of those same four animals. You know, the, the, the lion, the ox, the eagle, the man. Now, what does that mean? What is this picture? Why those animals? Well, it seems like it's a symbol of power. Because the lion is what we call the, the, the king of the jungle, the, the king of all the wild animals. The ox in their culture was the most powerful of the domesticated animals. The eagle is what we would say is the most powerful of all the, of the flying birds. And then man is supposed to be the, the creation that, that governs over all the rest of the animals. And so understand these beings around the throne have those faces. And in Revelation, John describes them as having six wings, similar to Isaiah's vision where he says those angels have six wings and they're covering up their bodies. But yet at the same time, their wings are covered with eyes and their bodies are covered with eyes. And, and there's, a, there's a picture of these beings who see all around them that notice everything that's going on. And I'll explain that in a second. But that's what these beings look like that surround the throne of God. And yet, what are they doing? They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What does that mean? Holy, holy, holy. It means set apart, distinct. He is so far beyond us. He is set apart from us. I mean, I want you to think about that for a second. I mean, can you imagine if one of those beings came into this room? How horrified we would be. I mean, because it's so far beyond anything that we've ever even imagined in our minds. I mean, I know myself, I would be terrified. And yet these beings who are so great, so powerful, what are they doing? They're bowing down before the throne and saying, holy, holy, holy. These beings are surrounding this throne saying, no, he's the one that's set apart. Forget about us. We were created to worship him. You see, there's a, there are two things that every king wanted to show off or parade. One was his glory and the other was his power or his security. That's what everyone, every king wanted to show that. When you see pictures of kings in the ancient days, they would be showing off their glory. They'd be dressed in all this gold and jewelry and everything else. So everyone would look at how they were decorated and look at his glory and go, wow, look at him. The other thing they would have is their army surrounding them. These powerful men surrounding them. So everyone would look at that army and realize, you know what? I would never dare approach that throne and try to take the throne away because I'd have to get through that army. They would show that, look, look how secure I am. Look how glorious I am. Well, in the Bible, God calls himself the king of kings. And here we see God in all of his glory. You know, I mean, what other king has lightning and thunder coming from his throne? And the rainbow encircling and his own appearance is that of Jasper and Carnelian. And the 24 elders around them with their thrones and they're, they're worshiping this God. And then he's got these four living creatures around him. And talk about power. Talk about security. Who would dare try to take the throne of God and come past those four living creatures 
It's not like you're going to sneak by them with all those eyes everywhere. You know, it's not like you could get by. It's like they are aware of everything. Now, I believe that's what the picture is of their eyes. They see everything. They notice everything. And they're the ones that are encircling the throne of God. Talk about glory. Talk about security. That's the king of kings. And they're worshiping him. And it says in the next verse, in verse 9, it says, Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. It says whenever those, those four beings start worshiping God in that way, and it says they do it day and night, and it seems like there's little intervals where they'll start again and say, holy, holy, holy. It says at that moment that the four beings start saying, holy, 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 the 24 elders at that time, it says they fall down. It's a picture of, of what they would do before a king. They would just fall on their faces And it says that they would take the crowns off and they would place them at the feet of the throne. They would just place it there at the foot of the throne. And and, and it's a picture of this. Okay, these crowns were given them because they were victorious here on earth. But what are they doing with these crowns? They're taking them off and saying, no, God, you are worthy. I don't deserve this crown. You deserve this crown. Sure, we worked. We did all this. But they say, you know what? You created all things. It's only by you that we even existed. You guys, do you have that attitude? I hope you don't have an attitude to say, gosh, look at everything I've done for God. But the attitude that says, yeah, I've worked hard at trying to serve God, but the bottom line is, I wouldn't even be here without him. I couldn't do what I do without his power enabling me. And so when I get rewarded, that reward, that glory should belong to God. And that's what these elders are doing. They're falling down or saying, God, you deserve all the glory, all the power, all the honor. Why? Why did they say? He says, because you created all things. They are worshiping God because he is a creator. And I got to say, one of the biggest shames of our generation is this. Satan has planted just enough doubt in us to make us question whether or not God really created this world. And some of you in this room sit there and you have this little doubt that goes, well, in my classroom, though, I learned that everything came from nothing. And that's kind of bugging me. And what that does is it keeps you from just worshiping God wholeheartedly for his creation, which God wants us to do. Man, have you ever, I mean, have you ever gone to the top of a mountain, you know, just hiked up there or taken a ski lift up there? You know, the chairlift up there and just got to the top and just looked around and just looked at it and just go, God, you are incredible. You ever worship God for his creation? You ever go out to the ocean and just look out and sometimes you see a dolphin jump in and you're just going, think about the vastness of the ocean, the depth of it and all the creatures in there. And just go, God, this is amazing. You are amazing. How did you do that? You ever go out to the desert like we do on our men's retreat, out to Lake Mead, and just look up at the stars and just look and think, man, every one of those stars is like millions of times the size of this tiny earth we live on. 
Just look at the brilliance of God's creation. Go, God, how did you do that? How did you create all of that? And when's the last time you got in God's creation and just worshipped him for it? You guys, it is my belief that we don't get out enough. I mean, it's just the truth. I just really believe we do not get out enough, and it is my belief that that is Satan's plan. Satan wants us surrounded by drywall. He does. I really believe. He wants us in a classroom. He wants us, you know, looking down at fluorescent lights. He wants us to look at all this. Then he wants us to get in our cars and get on the freeway and stare at all the concrete and all this man-made stuff. He wants us to go on vacation and go to Vegas, you know, and go, wow, look how tall that building is. Wow, they must have used a big crane to put all the steel up. And you sit there and you go, that's it? Oh, no, but in Vegas, their ceilings and their, and, their, and, and those hotels make it look like the sky. Yeah, or you could go out and look at the sky. <laughs> you know, and we're, we're, we're looking at all this man-made stuff. And, yeah, you know what? It's easy. It's easy when you get in a classroom, you know, and look at a chalkboard and go, yeah, well, maybe it did come from nothing. But you get out in God's creation. You can't do that. Romans 1 says, you go, you look at God's creation, 120, and it says, you you have no excuse. Because ever since the creation of the world, we can just look and know there's a God. Man, that's why I hear people who say, gosh, you know, the times I feel closest to God is when I get out in the mountains. You ever go there and just feel it? Or people say, you know, the times I feel closest to God is when I'm paddling out in the ocean. I'm just right there. It's like, yeah, it's just the presence of God. And I believe that that's where God wants us. You guys, take up hobbies that get you out in God's creation. Don't go bowling, you know. <laughs> go mountain bike riding. Go snowboarding. Go surfing. Get out in God's creation. Ladies, there, there's outdoor malls, right? You, you can, no, I'm kidding. You can, uh, but the whole point is, man, we got to get out in the world. Because you know what? You know what we're teaching our kids? What are our kids amazed at nowadays? Our kids are amazed going, wow, that looks like real blood. <laughs> As they're playing these games in front of a TV screen, rather than us getting them out in the world and saying, look at that. Look at the ocean. Think about that. Think about the animals in there. Think about how deep it is. Isn't it amazing how God does that? My daughter in the summer, you know, Rachel, you know, almost every night say, Dad, can we go out on the blanket? And we'll just get all our snacks together and go out in the backyard, lay on a blanket and just look at the stars. And I just teach her about the stars. I don't know a lot about the stars, but she doesn't know that. And I just go, you know, I just started going, God, look, you know how God created these stars? You know how they're made? And she'll just stare and look, and, and we'll just talk about how tiny the earth is and how incredible God is. And it's such a blessing. I, I remember a couple of weeks ago, that was probably two months ago, we're walking to the park, and I go, Rach, look at the sunset. Look at the colors on the clouds and everything else. A little five-year-old. I'm going, look at, you know, it's purple, it's pink, it's, it's all these colors on the sunset. And she looks at me, she goes, Daddy, can we stop and thank God for it? And I said, yeah, totally, baby. And uh, I go, why don't you pray? And she just goes, God, thank you for all the colors, and thank you for us, and thank you for this beautiful world you made. And it's just so cool. It's like, gosh, that's what our kids need to be exposed to. That's what they need to be thinking. And you guys, I I believe that we're doing such a disservice to God when we do not worship him for his creation. You guys, there is not a doubt in my mind that God made this. This world, and it is too incredible, too vast, too beautiful. 
It's just, just, just our human bodies, our senses, the way we can see and hear and smell and taste and feel. Those are things we just have to worship God for as David did. He says, God, I thank you. I praise you that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. See, you guys, that's what these beings in heaven are doing. That's what those four living creatures that are so far beyond us, they can't help but just worship God and bow down before him. But how about you? What is your worship like? Guys, I wanted to give you a glimpse of God for this. I want you to get a glimpse of heaven for this reason. What I want you to do is this. When you pray, would you take 30 seconds and stop and realize that when you pray, that's who you're talking to? Do you realize that? When you pray, when you close your eyes and talk, you are talking to that that very same God that's on the throne where the lightning and the thunder are emanating from it, where, where he's, he's encircled by this rainbow, where there's four living creatures, you know, with eyes on front and back, just day and night going, holy, 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 where the 24 elders will just lay down on their faces and put their crowns before him and saying, you deserve all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. That is the God that I talk to when I close my eyes and speak to him. And I tell you, when you take 30 seconds to think about who you're talking to before you talk, it'll change your prayer life. If you take 30 seconds and you stop and think about who you're going to sing to before you worship, it sure makes you worship differently when you realize, I'm singing before that being on the throne. That's what I'm doing right now. And you guys, that's what we're about to do. And so what I would like us to do is take 30 seconds right now and think about who we're going to worship. Would you bow your heads? And would you try to picture what Scripture has taught? Picture the throne with someone sitting on it who's bright like diamonds and rubies. And there's a rainbow encircling the throne. Picture 24 other thrones surrounding it. With elders, with white clothes and crowns. And from the throne you see flashes of lightning. You hear these peals of thunder. You see the seven lamps blazing a sea of glass surrounding it. You see these four living creatures right around the throne, one with the face like a lion, one like an ox, one like an eagle, one like a man, with six wings, and they're flying around with eyes all over them, and they are saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Then you see the 24 elders just get off of their thrones, fall on their faces, lay their crowns before the throne. And they say, worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things.
and how you are going to join them in worship of God. Oh, Father, when we think of who you are and you before, and the living creatures before you, God, we're in awe right now, Father, to think that you would listen to our prayers and listen to our worship. Oh, God, keep us just humble before you. Help us to understand what you are like. And God, now may we approach your throne with reverence. God, as we sing to you, I sing to that God now. Doesn't it make a huge difference to have a clear picture of the God we worship before we worship? Would you do that this week? Before you pray, read through Revelation 4 and think about who you're speaking to. You guys, I... I know that this may be new to some of you. I had a gal come up to me after church last night, and she says, you know, it's hard for me to picture God like that because it causes me to fear him. And I said, well, the Bible says the fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom. She says, well, okay, but then how can, I, how can I see him as a loving God then? And I said, you know what? That's what makes his love so amazing. Is do you realize that it's that God on that throne Surrounded by those beings and everything else, he looks at me and says, I love you. That being loves me, that's what makes his love so amazing. Is that it's God who loves me. And yeah, I fear him, I revere him. At the same time, I can approach him with confidence because he loves me, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And and, and also the thought that, you know what? With that God loving me and him for me, who can be against me? It's an incredibly secure feeling we have as believers in Jesus Christ to know that that God on the throne is my king, my father, and I am his child. He loves me. He protects me. It's an incredible picture of God, and that's why so many people are going to leave here today and go and get baptized in just a few minutes. And maybe some of you need to join them. If you have never given your life to Jesus... If you never said to God, God, I believe in you. I believe your son died for me. And I'm willing to say it in front of everyone. Man, then join us for baptism right now. Or you can say, God, you know, I got more important things to do right now. The guy after last, ser- last service that said to me, he goes, you know, I got a real important appointment at one. So I'm going to cancel it because I need to give my life to the Lord and get baptized. And I said, right on. There is nothing more important than getting right with God. Guys, let's pray to him as we go. Father, you are awesome. You are holy, holy, holy. You are so far beyond us as we picture you on your throne. The thunder and the lightning, the sea of glass, the seven blazing flames. God, the four living creatures, the 24 elders. God, if we just join them in adoring you and telling you we are amazed by your creation and we recognize that we only exist because of you. And every breath we use to praise is drawn only as you've allowed. God, you are incredible. And I just pray that our worship was honoring to you, that it was pleasing to you. Because you are a holy God and you deserve nothing less than our very best. Thank you, Father, for loving us and knowing us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.